Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast, the show designed to give you science-based solutions to improve your health and life. I'm Dr. David Jockers, doctor of natural medicine, chiropractor, and functional nutrition practitioner, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm here to tell you that your body was created to heal itself, and on this show, we focus on strategies you can apply today to heal and function at your best. I'm excited about today's podcast, but before we jump in, I wanted to remind you to download this month's special gift at drjockersgift.com. From keto meal plans, smoothie recipes, to fasting quick start guides, we have a new complimentary gift every single month. To get your gift, simply visit drjockersgift.com. That's D-R-J-O-C-K-E-R-S-G-I-F-T.com. Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. Many of you know that I am constantly testing different health tools to see what works and what doesn't. And one of my new favorite supplements is Carbon 60 or C60. It's a super antioxidant that lifts the oxidative burden at the cellular level. It basically acts like a free radical sponge that helps your body heal itself. And it does that by optimizing the efficiency of your mitochondria. And by making your mitochondria stronger, more resilient to stress, C60 helps you promote longevity, fight inflammation, boost immune function, supports healthy aging, healthy joints, and it increases your energy and mental clarity naturally. My favorite brand is C60 Purple Power because it offers 99.99% pure sublimated carbon 60 that's never been exposed to solvents, and it's delivered in 100% certified organic oils. They have it coming in avocado oil, extra virgin olive oil, MCT coconut oil, and they also have it in different flavors like cinnamon and orange. And I will tell you guys that most users notice an increase in energy and mental clarity after 30 days of use. I know that was the case for me. That literally, I mean, within about two weeks, I, I immediately noticed energy. I noticed better mental clarity. Uh, I just noticed that I was recovering from my workouts better. I was less sore and I had more energy for my workout the next day. That's what I'm all about. I'm about biohacking. I'm about optimizing my performance. And I found that C60 Purple Power really delivers when it comes to helping enhance my energy, my mental clarity, um, helping me recover from my workouts and be the best that I can be. Basically, all I do is I take a teaspoon a day. A lot of people like to add it into you know, a morning coffee or anything like that. I typically took it with my lunch and I was noticing results. Guys, if you want to check out the C60 Purple Power, I've got a special discount coupon. It's Jockers. Just use my last name, Jockers. And you can go to shopc60.com forward slash jockers or www.shopc60.com forward slash jockers. Use the coupon code jockers at checkout to save 15% off today. You guys are going to love the C60 Purple Power. This podcast is an audio recording of one of my most popular YouTube videos on how visceral fat which is the fat that's deep in your system, how that drives up inflammation. You know, we used to think that fat was just kind of 
a storage form of energy, but now we realize it's actually an endocrine organ. And the more that we have, the more it drives up inflammatory proteins and the body actually releases inflammatory proteins. And so I go through how all the mechanisms, the physiology for how this works. And I also go through the best strategies for burning visceral fat, reducing inflammation in your body so you can be healthy and well. You guys are going to love this information. And if you have not left us a five-star review, please do that. Just go down to the bottom of your Apple iTunes player. That's where you can leave the review and share this information, share this podcast with somebody that you know and that you care about. And you can help save and transform their life. So thanks so much for doing that. And let's go into the show. Today, we're talking about visceral fat. What is it and how it drives up inflammation and what you can do about it. Visceral fat is a significant danger. If you're starting to develop a lot of visceral fat, it's actually increasing inflammation throughout your whole body and increasing your risk of all-cause chronic disease. And so it definitely needs to be addressed. And so first thing we got to understand is, what is visceral fat? What's the difference between that and subcutaneous fat? Subcutaneous fat is the fat just under your skin, the fat you can pinch. When you lose subcutaneous fat, your, you know, the, the amount you can pinch from your skin goes down. But visceral fat, you can't really see it on the outside, but it wraps around your organs and it creates inflammation and interferes with organ function. And that ultimately over time, the visceral fat is what causes that big belly uh, it's associated with type 2 diabetes, insulin resistance, stroke, heart disease, and some different types of cancers. Okay, now when you lose visceral and subcutaneous fat, your waistline gets smaller and your percent body fat goes down. You can't eliminate all the fat on your body, nor would you want to. You need to have some fat, you know, play some important roles, like, for example, insulation helps keep your body warm, um, cushioning, right? There's a lot of key roles that fat plays. But the key here is that fat itself is actually an endocrine organ. It actually releases hormones, hormones like, for example, adiponectin, and can also release inflammatory compounds as well. And so we need to keep our fat levels under check in order to keep inflammation down in our body. And you're going to hear a lot about insulin resistance. Insulin resistance is associated with visceral fat. What is insulin? Insulin is a superhero hormone. Its job is to take sugar out of the bloodstream and put it into the cells. Why is that important? Because high blood sugar, when sugar is elevated in the bloodstream, it binds to proteins and creates sticky proteins. We call these advanced glycation end products or AGEs. The AGEs are like shrapnel going through our bloodstream. They destroy our, our, the endothelial lining of our blood vessels damage our kidneys, they damage our nerves, and they create massive inflammation and stress in our body. So insulin helps take the sugar and put it in the cells where it can be used as energy. However, the problem is when we develop insulin resistance, that is when our body is producing a lot of insulin and our cells are no longer responding. Our cells can only handle so much glucose, so much sugar at a time. So if they're getting pounded with sugar and sugar is getting into that cell, over time, they dull, they, they become less insulin sensitive to prevent too much sugar from getting into the cell. And what happens now, insulin and sugar start to build up on the outside. First, insulin starts going up before your blood sugar goes up because you need more and more insulin to tell the cell or, you know, insulin is kind of like a key. It opens up the cell. So you need more and more to get through the lock and open up the cell. 
And when you have higher levels of insulin, insulin turns on fat storage, doesn't allow you to break down fat and use it for fuel. So you end up storing fat and it also turns up inflammation in the body. And that can also turn up cravings as well. When you have higher levels of insulin, it's associated with having more cravings for carbs and sugar and processed foods. And we know that insulin not only does it drive up inflammation, but it also lowers your liver detoxification pathways so you don't detoxify as well. It can increase your blood pressure by causing uh, more vasospasms in your arteries and blood vessels, and it creates more hardening in those blood vessels, drives up your LDL and your triglyceride levels, and lowers your HDL or your healthier protective cholesterol. So you end up with the terrible triad of high LDL high triglycerides and low HDL. That's a classic sign of insulin resistance. In women, high levels of insulin can also cause higher testosterone, which can lead to a condition like PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome or cystic acne. That's often associated with higher testosterone in women. And that's related to the insulin resistance. Get the insulin under control, the testosterone gets back in balance. For men, they end up with higher amounts of estrogen. There's something called aromatase where the body releases an enzyme called aromatase, which takes testosterone and converts it into estrogen. And aromatase is released by the fat cells. So the more fat we have, the more we are converting testosterone into estrogen for men. And so men with higher estrogen levels, we call that andropause, where men will start to develop some level of breast tissue, their libido goes down, they develop, you know, they have the, the, the belly fat, loss of muscle tissue, loss of drive, mental drive. They typically are depressed or apathetic. So it's not a good state to be in. And then insulin can also drive up oxidative stress rule. It will drive up oxidative stress and age the cells. And it can also cause mood imbalances by causing imbalances in neurotransmitters and the sensitivity of those neurotransmitters, things like dopamine and serotonin, because you know, all these hormones work together and insulin, testosterone, estrogen all work together in the brain to create the right balance of these neurotransmitters. Now, here are some signs that you have insulin resistance. You tend to be overweight and you have trouble losing weight, like weight loss resistance, for example. You try changing your diet and exercising, but it's just really hard for you to lose weight. That may be a sign that you have higher amounts of insulin in your bloodstream. You tend to have a large appetite and you crave sweets after meals. So you eat a big meal. But then you still, even though you ate a lot of food, you still have this craving for sweets. And then you eat the sweets and it still doesn't relieve the cravings. Why is that? Because your body's, your cells actually need more sugar, but they become so blunted now to insulin that they can't get the sugar into the cells. So the sugar just piles up in the blood and you're having a lot of trouble actually getting into the cells to relieve the craving. And then you feel more tired after meals because insulin really drains our energy. Um, the inflammation really drives down mitochondrial function. So we feel really tired, especially after meals. We have a frequent thirst and urge to urinate. Again, hormone problems like PCOS uh, or estrogen dominance, even things like uh, endometriosis can be associated as well with insulin resistance. Um, again, males, low testosterone, so all the things we talked about there. Also, a lot of skin issues. This can be for men or women. Things like acne, skin tags, skin pigmentation changes, all associated with insulin resistance, high blood pressure, and high triglycerides as well. 
Now, when we talk about going back to visceral fat, we know the link with that and insulin resistance. When it comes to fat cell growth, there's two major types, hyperplastic fat cell growth or hypertrophic and hypertrophic fat cell growth. And they're not the same. They affect your body differently. With hypertrophic fat cell growth, your fat cells get too big. So hypertrophy, like when we think about hypertrophy from a muscle building perspective, it's a good thing. We want to build muscle. When we are talking about hypertrophic growth from fat cell growth, it means the fat cells are getting big. As a result, when they communicate with insulin, they send the message that they are no longer able to store fat as insulin wants them to, and they'll start breaking down triglycerides through lipolysis. Lipolysis is the breakdown of fats and lipids to release fatty acids. Insulin now will have no choice but to continue to force feed the fat cells with fat. So the fat cells get really big, but it just continues to try to force the fat cells in there. But the fat cells, again, they're already too big. They're unable to handle more fat without hurting your body or dying. Since the hypertrophic fat cells are unable to handle all the fat, they start leaking out free fatty acids. So this is where we get leaky fat cells. You've heard of leaky gut. Well, you also have leaky fat cells, and this is what happens. And that increases the likelihood of these fats being stored elsewhere and increases the risk of obesity and other health issues. Hypertrophic fat cells are a major problem. In fact, hypertrophic fat cells trigger uh, more insulin resistance, more inflammation throughout the body, whereas hyperplastic means you just grow more fat cells. And that's actually more protective when your body actually increases the amount of fat cells so the cells don't overload and release just free fatty acids all throughout the body. And so your hyperplastic fat cells are healthier, okay? And they are, they're preserving the adipose tissue functions. They're preserving insulin sensitivity. So some individuals will develop hyperplastic. They have more of a tendency if they have too many calories, if they're you know, not consuming the right, the right foods to just increase the amount of fat cells called hyperplasia. And that's actually healthier than hypertrophic. Hyperplasia is associated with higher amounts of adiponectin, lower amounts of inflammatory adipokines, which are these inflammatory cytokines that come from adipose or fat tissue. And they have improved mitochondrial respiration. Okay, whereas hypertrophic, have lower levels of adiponectin, which turns on fat burning. They have higher amounts of inflammation, lower mitochondrial function, and poor blood flow and hypoxia. And that ends up causing an even greater amount of infiltration of macrophages. So more and more uh, inflammation within and around the fat cells. And that's not what we want. That's going to cause a lot of problems there. So again, fat cells, when we're looking at this, a good functional adipocyte is hyperplastic. Hyperplastic is a you know is is better. Like so, if it gets overloaded, it will split and turn into multiple fat cells, as opposed to just getting too big and then it spills out. If it's hypertrophic, it spills out and uh, causes more inflammation and causes more problems. And so, the next thing we'll talk about is really how it sends out some of these inflammatory signals. A recent 2020 animal study published in Nature Metabolism found some link between inflammation in the fat tissue and obesity. 
When you eat more calories than your body requires, your body will create triglycerides inside your fat tissue called white adipose tissue or WAT. If you're obese, your body has too many calories to deal with. <clears throat> Just like humans who have too many tasks on their plate at work, the WAT becomes overwhelmed and overworked by all this. As a result, your fat cells start dying. They activate an immune response and create inflammation. So this is what happens. They start to die and they create this activated immune response. And so instead of studying the signaling molecules released by your fat or immune cells, this particular research looked at the vessels that carry your blood, inflammatory molecules and immune cells into that white adipose tissue. They discovered a new type of cell lining in these blood vessels, a type of adipose progenitor cell or APC. APCs help to generate mature fat cells. Unlike other APCs, these particular cells release signals that trigger, encourage, and mediate inflammation. They're fibroinflammatory progenerators, or FIPs. I know this is a lot of terminology, but it's really interesting. I found it really interesting. Researchers found that just one day on an inflammatory diet, diet high in sugar and, and processed fats, leads to increased inflammatory molecule production of these FIPs, these fibroinflammatory progenerators in young male mice. 28 days on the inflammatory diet had to lead to a significant escalation in the FIPs compared to other types of uh, adipose, progenerator, per, adipose progenerator cells. These are significant findings that show that these specific cells may play a significant role in inflammation in fat tissue. So more fat tissue, more inflammation. One thing that is created as well are ceramides. And ceramides are waxy lipid molecules that are found in cell membrane in all mammals. And they, they're, they're important. The problem is when they accumulate in large amounts. An excess of ceramides increases adipose tissue inflammation and dysfunction and increases your risk of metabolic syndrome and cardiometabolic disease. A 2020 study published in Frontiers in Immunology found that adipocyte ceramide formation plays a role in inflammation and metabolism. Ceramides become upregulated by inflammation and they prevent insulin-stimulated disposal of glucose and metabolic respiration contributing to metabolic syndrome. So they really cause more damage and inflammation, these ceramides, and they cause your muscles to not respond to insulin, your brain not to respond. They cause cardiomyopathy where your heart cells start to become uh, overgrown and less reactive. They cause fatty liver disease. So this is all downstream mechanisms associated with an inflammatory diet and insulin resistance. So we really have to address that. Another component that plays in with this is leptin resistance. And leptin is a fat burning hormone, another hormone that is released by fat cells. So fat cells release adiponectin, Adiponectin tells the body to burn fat. It also helps tell the body where to, you know, where to burn it from in a sense, right? So it will kind of direct how we burn fat. Leptin tells the body we're satiated and that we can start burning fat for fuel and we don't need to keep eating. However, when we have higher amounts of inflammation, right? Higher amounts of these um, FIPs and ceramides, it ends up blunting the effect of leptin and we get leptin resistance where the brain is no longer able to hear the message from leptin. So we have higher leptin, but the brain's not sensitive to it. 
and we just continue to have to eat and we continue to have cravings and we're not able to burn our own body fat. So major issues here. And so a couple ways to test this. So we have a waist to hip ratio, which is an easy thing to look at. You just stand up straight, don't slouch. Find the smallest part of your waist. It's generally, generally located right above your belly button. Measure your waist circumference with a tape measure. Find the widest part of your hips or buttocks. Measure your hip circumference there with a tape measure. And then calculate your waist to hip ratio. You just divide your waist circumference by your hip circumference. So for women, women should really be 0.8 or below. Okay, that's super important. Men should be 0.95 or below, right? So men are going to be closer. They have um, their waists are closer in proportion to their hips, but they should always be less. And women should be under 0.8 on that. Now, another test is your waist to height ratio. With the waist to height ratio, you want to stand up straight, don't slouch, measure your height in inches, for example, and measure your waist in inches. A healthy waist to height ratio. So you're now you're dividing your waist by your height. So if I'm, let's say 72, let's say I'm, I'm six foot, I'm about six foot, I'm 5'11". So that's 71 inches. My waist is 32 inches. So 32 divided by 71. Um, if I do the math on that, that's going to be, let's see, 32 divided by 71 is 0.45. Okay, and you want that always to be less than 0.5, right? Your waist to hip ratio should always be under 0.5. So, you know, at 71 inches, I shouldn't have a waist more than 35 inches, for example, right? In order to be considered healthy and have less visceral adipose tissue. Now, a couple key routine labs just for overall arterial health and overall health. Uh, things that I like to look at, hemoglobin A1C, your fasting glucose, your fasting insulin levels. Insulin should be really under six, okay? Your fasting insulin, hemoglobin A1C should be under 5.2. That's the amount of glycation that's taking place in your blood. Remember, glycation is when your sugar, the sugar molecules bind to proteins and create damage to the proteins. So you don't want too much damaged hemoglobin damaged uh, glycated hemoglobin in your blood. And so you want it under 5.2%. Inflammatory markers, I look at things like HSCRP, C-reactive protein, which should always be under one. LDH, lactose dehydrogenase, which is a key enzyme associated with metabolizing sugar, should be between 140 and 180. Over 180 is a sign of inflammation. Under 140 is a sign of reactive hypoglycemia, where your body's not um, good at balancing blood sugar, right? And your blood sugar may drop too low. Serum ferritin. Ferritin is a acute marker of oxidative stress. That should really be somewhere between 50 and 150. Shouldn't be over 150. If it's up over 150, that's a sign of inflammation. Homocysteine should roughly be between six and nine. Shouldn't be over nine. Um, lipid panel, we're looking at your VLDL, your LDL, your HDL, and your triglycerides. Now, your ratios, your triglyceride to HDL ratio is the most important thing to look at when it comes to your lipid panel. Triglyceride to HDL ratio should always be under two and close to one, meaning triglycerides, they should be, let's say they're you know under 100. We want, we want them under 100. 
and we want them to be as close to the HDL as possible. So let's say they're 80 and 80, right? That's a one-to-one -one ratio. That's really good. That's healthy. Okay, so that's, that's where we would want it to be. So that's the most important thing to look at with the lipid panel. Hey, I just wanted to interrupt this podcast to tell you about Perfect Keto Cereal. If you're like me, you grew up eating cereal, but you stopped eating it because you knew the ingredients were driving up massive inflammation in your body, but you still miss it. You still wish you could have that good, sweet crunch. And that is why I wanted to tell you about Perfect Keto Cereal, which is a grain-free, keto-friendly cereal with ingredients you can actually trust. It is a treat reminiscent of your childhood with a satisfying crunch and value-added ingredients like collagen and MCTs. I love the cinnamon and the honey nut flavor. And again, it is grain-free. No wheat, no oats, no rice, no corn, no, you know, nothing that's going to spike your blood sugar. In fact, it only has one to two grams of net carbs, nine grams of protein, and five grams of fat. You know, an equal amount of traditional cereal can have up to 25, 30, even 40 grams of net carbs in one serving with barely any protein, fat, or dietary fiber. That is just going to massively blast your blood sugar but not perfect keto. Again, one to two grams of net carbs, nine grams of protein, and five grams of fat. And you know what kind of protein they have? They have collagen protein that they've added in there along with MCTs. The collagen helps support your joints. It helps support your skin, your hair, your nails, and helps to heal and seal your gut lining. The MCTs turn into ketones in your bloodstream, which balances your blood sugar and stabilizes your insulin levels. You guys are going to love this cereal. You can check it out at perfectketo.com forward slash DRJ and use the coupon code JOCKERS for 20% off your first order. Again, that's perfectketo.com forward slash DRJ and use the coupon code JOCKERS for 20% off your first order. Check it out today. Top anti-inflammatory foods. These are the kinds of foods that you want to be consuming. If you want to burn through your visceral fat, you got to get rid of these pro-inflammatory foods like your conventional uh, meats, your deep fried foods, your packaged processed foods, your refined grains, whole grains, all your vegetable oils, your refined uh, vegetable oils, corn oil, soybeans, safflower, cottonseed, peanut oil. You got to get rid of those things. And then you want to really focus on grass-fed, pasture-raised meat, um, lemons, limes, berries, which are very rich in phytonutrients, bone broth, vegetable broth, apple cider vinegar, things like ginger, turmeric, basil, oregano, thyme, rosemary, garlic, onions, chives. Getting all those things are so good for your body. Um, avocados, olives, olive oil, coconut oil, fermented vegetables, non-starchy vegetables, wild-caught fish. Right? These are the kinds of foods you want to be consuming on a regular basis to burn fat. And then you want to implement intermittent fasting. So this is one of the best and easiest things you can do to, to uh, improve your fat burning. So the first thing you do is you start with a simple fast, 12 hours overnight. So no late night snacks, finish your eating by 8 p.m. at night. Don't eat anything with calories until 8 a.m. the next morning. That's a 12-hour overnight fast. Then I recommend starting your day with a lot of water. Drink 8, 16, 24 ounces of water before you even think about food. What you'll notice is that alone, just drinking that water will help suppress your appetite, will help you be able to fast longer, 
and burn fat more effectively. So that can push you out to a 14 hour fast. Then you wanna push it to a 16 hour fast. So stay hydrated during the morning and go 16 hours. So if you finish dinner at let's say 8 p.m., you wouldn't eat until noon the next day. And this is called a 16 8, 16 uh, hour fast, eight hour eating window. And you wanna do that at least two or three days a week. Okay. And then really over time, especially if you're really trying to burn fat, you can start doing it on a regular basis or just about every day. Okay. That's what I do. I do a 16 to 18 hour fast on a daily basis. And then one day a week, I do a 24 hour fast, which is extraordinarily powerful for helping you really turn on the fat burning switch switch and activate autophagy, which is your body's way of healing at the deep cellular level. So it gets in, starts to break down old damaged mitochondria and damaged uh, cellular organelles and takes the raw materials and turns them into new and healthy uh, cell, cell membranes and cell uh, organelles, cellular organelles, new healthy mitochondria to drive up energy production and fat burning. So fasting is one of the most powerful things you can do. Again, I'm a huge advocate of doing a daily, I'm sorry, a weekly one-day fast, right? Something I do every week. I eat lunch on Wednesday, and then I fast until lunch on Thursday. And this is really good for getting inflammation under control, turning on fat burning. You help turn on your human growth hormone, and uh, you optimize your insulin sensitivity levels. So your body's able to be more responsive to insulin. And it helps to improve and balance your estrogen, testosterone levels, great for mental health, and overall reduces your risk of chronic disease, reduces oxidation, and increases the amount of mitochondria. You get this mechanism of mitochondrial biogenesis where your body actually starts creating more new, healthy, strong, more stress-resilient mitochondria to help give you better energy, better mental clarity, to give you more resilience in life. So do a one-day fast, 24-hour fast every week. It can be from dinner to dinner. It can be from lunch to lunch, breakfast to breakfast, whatever works best for you. For me, I feel like I sleep better doing it from lunch to lunch. Fasting in the morning is easy for me. I just stay productive. I get going. I stay productive. I stay hydrated. Usually around the middle of the day, somewhere between 12 and 2 o'clock, I want a little bit of a break and I want some food. And so for me, eating then, I eat a nice big meal. And then I'm able to fast no problem through dinner and I actually sleep better, more effectively and deeper at night. So for me, that tends to work great. Um, but you got to figure out what works best for you for that sort of fast. Now, when you do this, again, when you're fasting like this, you are turning on ketones. Ketones are a metabolic byproduct of fatty acid metabolism. So when you start burning fat for fuel, your body will create ketones. Ketones can cross through the blood-brain barrier, whereas fatty acids can't. And they fuel the brain and they also turn off inflammation in the brain. So when you have insulin resistance, you have high levels of inflammation impacting all parts of the body, including the brain. And that increases your risk of neurodegenerative conditions later in life. But when you get the ketones turned on from doing a fast, eating a lower carb diet, improving your insulin sensitivity, now you're able to use ketones for fuel and they are much they're a much uh, cleaner energy source than glucose. Glucose, when we burn glucose, we produce a lot of oxidative stress and inflammation in the body. We burn ketones, significantly less oxidative stress, significantly less inflammation, and significantly more cellular energy. We also turn on, again, the production of these mitochondria, which 
when it comes to the brain is really important because the brain is the most dense area for these mitochondria. And the more mitochondria you have in your brain, the more sharper, clearer you're going to be able to think, the better your memory is, the better your mood, and your overall quality of life is going to be really very much dependent upon the quality of your mitochondria within those uh, brain cells. And so super key. And again, when you're fasting, you're your insulin goes down, right? No insulin available. So your body turns on fat burning and starts using fat for fuel. So here are some ways to do a one day fast. Again, 22 to 24 hour fast is a great approach. So again, lunch to lunch, dinner to dinner. You could also do a 36 to 42 hour fast. So especially if you're really trying to lose weight, ramp it up even more and go from, for example, eat dinner Sunday night and fast until, let's say, lunch on Tuesday, okay? And that will really ramp up fat burning and give you even greater levels of autophagy and cellular healing and dampen down that inflammation. You can also do a 5-2 fasting schedule, and I've done this before as well, where you do two one-day fasts on non-consecutive days each week. So it could be like Wednesday and Saturday, for example. So you might do a 24-hour fast on Wednesday, and then you might do it on Saturday, lunch to lunch, dinner to dinner, you know, however you want to do it. And that will also give you great fat burning and cellular healing results. So try that out. Again, as I was talking about, fasting increases ketone production and utilization in the body. And that's one of the most powerful things because it's a stressor on the mitochondria. And when the mitochondria are stressed, they go through this process of autophagy where they break down bad, damaged, dysfunctional mitochondria. If we have too many dysfunctional mitochondria, that's going to greatly increase our risk of heart disease, cancer, all different types of metabolic diseases. So we get rid of these things, and then we actually develop young, healthy, strong, stress-resilient mitochondria that are going to give us greater quality of life. Now, beyond fasting and good nutrition, we also need to prioritize good sleep. Okay, sleep is super critical to fat burning. If you're not sleeping well, you're going to have higher amounts of stress hormones throughout the day, and you're going to have more cravings. It's going to be harder for you to fast, and you're also going to blunt your fat burning effect. So really got to prioritize good sleep. In order to do that, I recommend keeping your room as dark as possible, using a sleep mask. That's what I use over my eyes. Have your room cool, right? So keep it cool. Have an overhead fan or something like that. Um, and get under those covers. Avoid caffeine within eight hours of sleeping. So, you know, if you're going to bed at 10, no caffeine after 2 p.m. Don't eat within three hours of sleeping. Ideally, you want, you, you want your body to have digested food before you go to sleep. Get sun exposure during the day. So get out in the sun during the day. Actually helps set your circadian rhythm. You want to exercise regularly, but not late at night. Okay, so exercise regularly. But, you know, not within three to four hours of going to bed, okay? Avoid bright light after sunset. So dim your lights. You can put in like orange lights that kind of more mimic candlelight or fire, um, which is less suppressing on your melatonin levels. So that's helpful. Dim your lights, keep things dark. And then don't have goals after 9 p.m. You got to wind down. After 9 p.m., you shouldn't have goals. You should be really just preparing your body for sleep. You might be reading or having casual conversation with your spouse or a loved one, um, but you shouldn't have any sort of intense conversations or 
uh, be doing anything like highly active or uh, trying to accomplish goals because that will stimulate more uh, stress hormones, more cortisol, more epinephrine, which um, allow you to accomplish goals, but they also are counterproductive to good sleep. So you don't want to do that. You want to get out and move every day, get out, walk on a regular basis, get out and move, but then also do strength training a few times a week, right? Where you're actually really intensely working your body. Okay. And so you should do upper body and lower body. I recommend doing three to four days a week of strength training where you are doing, for example, I like to do upper body on Mondays and Thursdays where I'm doing intense upper body exercises, strengthening my upper body. I do a push exercise followed by a pull, right? So like, uh, like a push press followed by a row, bent over row or something like that. Push pull exercises. And then Tuesday and Friday, I do lower body where I'm doing squats, deadlifts, lunges. You want to be doing that strength training. You're going to build lean body tissue when you do that. When you build lean body tissue, your body will burn fat more effectively. It will reduce inflammation. It will increase those mitochondria. And it will tell you, it will teach your body to become a better fat burner. And you'll burn fat at night while you're sleeping. So you got to move and you got to do strength training. That's super critical. You can start small right? Start with one or two days a week, but build up three, four days a week. Give yourself recovery time. So remember, I work out upper body Monday and Thursday. So I have two full days of recovery after that upper body workout for my muscles to recover, to adapt, and to become more resilient and more efficient before I hit it hard again on Thursday. Same thing with my lower body. My lower body works on Tuesday, but it's resting Wednesday and Thursday. Then I hit it hard again on Friday then it rests for three days after that, right? And so that is how you want to go about this. Um, you know, I don't think you need to work out more than, let's say, four or five days a week to get great results. But when you do work out, make sure it counts. Work hard, okay? Hit your body hard. But then even on your off days, get out and move, walk, play with your kids. Just get out and get moving in, movement in. That's super critical. That will help you burn off the fat. So to replay that anti-inflammatory nutrition, really focusing on nutrient-dense foods, keeping uh, sugar down, get, getting rid of grains and starches, getting rid of bad fats like corn oil, soybean, safflower, cottonseed oil, all these processed vegetable oils, and doing our best to consume more grass-fed, organic, pasture-raised animal products that have lower toxic loads, and then consuming a lot of herbs and berries and... Um, healthy fats like avocados and coconut oil and olives and olive oil and non-starchy veggies, grass-fed organic meats, right? Really loading up on those things. I recommend getting a lot of protein, right? You want to consume roughly, uh, you know, a, a, a gram of protein per pound of lean body tissue. So if you are, let's say, um, 300 pounds, but you're 30% body fat, then that would mean that 70% of your body is muscle, right? So then you would want to consume roughly around 200, 210 grams of protein uh, built up, you know, and that will help you actually build muscle, right? And so that is key there. You want to be building muscle. So for me, like I'm 170 pounds and I'm 8% body fat. So I'm 92% um, muscle, right? Muscle and bone, lean body. Right. And so I want to consume roughly about 150 grams or so of protein daily to really help me build muscle and have my best metabolic health, unless I'm fasting. 
Okay. So that's what I try to do. I usually consume two meals, roughly somewhere between 60 to 90 grams of protein in each of those meals, right? To give me the best benefit there and really turn on my metabolism. So prioritize protein, do intermittent fasting, right? Where you're getting into that 16, eight window and then do a 24 hour fast at least one day a week to really get the, that next level of fat burning and autophagy. So hopefully this is a great training for you guys and uh, be sure to share this. Leave us a comment or a review on our podcast. We'd be so appreciative of that. And we will see you guys on a future online training. Well, that's all for this show. And I want to thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. And if there was something you heard in this interview that you have questions on or you want to dive into deeper, then drjockers.com is the best place to go. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking just a quick moment and giving us a great review. Your reviews help us influence more people and transform more lives. And if you took something valuable away from this episode, then please share it with someone in your life you know it can help. We'll see you soon on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.